Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Thanks for coming, guys. That was fun, right? March Madness. Feels good to laugh, huh? Um, thanks again for coming on Zoom again and again. Uh, appreciate you coming out and appreciate your uh, just being able to see you guys. And, uh, you know, as this year kind of goes on the downward slope. I just wanted to remind you all that uh, myself, Taylor, Sophie, we really care about uh, knowing what's going on with you guys, walking with you, um, being there for you. So uh, keep us posted on what's going on. Let us know how we can be praying for you. We want to hang out with you, etc. So hopefully we can do that. And looking forward to some in-person hangout time uh, in the coming weeks. And uh, we're winding down our series, going through the Apostles' Creed, and we've come tonight uh, to this idea. So we said, I believe, uh, last week, and we said in the, in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and uh, tonight we're looking at the forgiveness of sins. And uh, if you've been to RUF this semester, we've actually talked about the forgiveness of sins uh, various times as we looked at, for instance, uh, Jesus being crucified, uh, dying for our sins. And I want to look tonight kind of at a different angle on the forgiveness of sins. And I want to look specifically at what forgiveness does. Uh, what difference being for a forgiven person makes. And to do that, we're going to look at this short text from Romans, Romans chapter 6, uh, just the first four verses. Uh, this is Paul writing to uh, the Romans, and this is what he says. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Uh, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, you can raise your hands if you've seen it, is Goodwill Hunting. Anybody seen Goodwill Hunting? It's kind of like a 90s movie, so a little before a lot of your times, but definitely worth the rewatch. It's early Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. And the story of Goodwill Hunting is Will is the main character played by Matt Damon, and Will is a genius. Uh, he's like so smart, but he comes from a rough background. Uh, South Boston, uh, kind of messed up family. And uh, so he's this gene, like literal, like makes MIT professors look like idiots, genius. And he rolls with this crew of friends that are all like buffoons, Ben Affleck's character and a few other guys. And they're just getting in trouble with the law all the time. And uh, there's an MIT professor who finds out that Will is like a genius on the level that like only three people in the whole world are at. 
and uh, Will's still getting in trouble with the law, and so uh, this professor arranges for this judge to let him off the hook if he'll see a therapist. And uh, the therapist is played by Robin Williams. And you start to find out about Will, uh, Matt Damon's character, that uh, in fact he was actually abused as a child. So he comes from a situation of abuse, and it just so happens that Robin Williams' character, the therapist, uh, has a similar background, both from South Boston, uh, both abused as children. And and so Robin Williams' character is just great. And he's kind of like slowly unraveling the story and uh, kind of gently entering into it. This is a spoiler alert, but it's like 30 years old, so sorry. Um, and uh, at the end of the movie, they start to actually talk about the abuse. And... Robin Williams, you know, says like, they start to talk about how they both know what it's like. And because Robin Williams knows, he says to Will, he says, it's not your fault. Because he knows that abuse victims typically and sadly think it's their fault. And they live with this story of, you know, it's my fault. And so he go, at the end of the movie, he goes, it's not your fault. And Will's kind of like, yeah, no, okay. And he, said, and he just won't stop saying it's not your fault. It's not your fault. He says it over and over until Will just like collapses in his arms, sobbing. And he's finally gotten to what's really going on with Will. And the point is, you know, the narrative we tell ourselves about ourselves is very powerful. The narrative we tell ourselves about ourselves is extremely powerful. And that's actually what Paul is talking about in this text we just read uh, as he addresses this anticipated objection to his argument. So uh, where we've come in Romans, you know, the text prior to this, um, in the chapters prior to it, Paul's been um, unpacking this gospel of amazing grace, uh, saying, you know, like, you don't contribute to your salvation. It's sheerly by grace. Uh, Jesus died for us when we were his enemies. It's free. You can't do anything to earn it. Uh, and it's just amazing how like God could freely give grace in this way. And, and then he comes to this, he does this question. He's anticipating an objection that his opponents are going to have, which is this. It's like, if God just forgives, then wouldn't people just do whatever they want? Like if God forgives, wouldn't, you know, why wouldn't we just keep on sinning so that grace may abound? And on the surface, it's a logical question, right? Kind of makes sense. Like, and what we need to see is that when we ask this question, it actually comes from a place of pride. Uh, it's saying like, you know, the gospel can't be right. Like if you object to this, it's, you're saying the gospel can't be right because if it is, then it means that my hard work doesn't really earn me anything with God. And so it's the people like the Pharisees, the religious leaders that actually opposed Jesus because they didn't like this idea that God might accept people not based on what they've done. Because, uh, you know, that's a tough pill. To, if you got a lot going for you, this idea that God saves like messed up people and his enemies uh, is a tough pill to swallow. But that's the question. Like, does the gospel of grace mean we can do whatever we want? Uh, another way to ask it is, you know, can, can a gospel of free grace produce holiness and obedience to God? Like, how could a message of grace do that? Or can the forgiveness of my sins really change me? 
So it's a really pertinent question. Uh, you know, if you're here and you're a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you're thinking maybe like, you know, I've been a Christian for a while and the same sins keep coming up. Am I missing something? Like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just get over this sin or that sin or this sin pattern? Or maybe you're here exploring Christianity, which is great too. And maybe you might be wondering, you know, how can a message about the forgiveness of sins through Jesus be enough? Like, isn't it kind of simplistic? Uh, And so that's the question. Uh, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And I want to look at the answer now that Paul gives. And uh, it's it's a two-part answer. The first part is, by no means, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And I want us to think about what it means that he's talking about dying to sin. And I think when we read that, our first, you know, what does it mean to die to sin? I think a lot of people go the direction of like, well, to die means that like you're unresponsive now. So what it means to die to sin is that you, Christians no longer want to sin anymore. You shouldn't want to sin if you're a Christian. And that's actually incorrect because later in the same letter, Paul talks about struggling with sin. Uh, in the next chapter, actually, he talks about his own struggle with sin. Um, and there's a lot of other exhortations not to sin in the book. Uh, it also doesn't fit the Christian experience, uh, because if you are a Christian, then you know that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you no longer want to sin. Um, so, um, that's kind of like the problem with it, you know, like, um, you know, Paul saying you died to sin and it's not like about, uh, you know, whether or not you want to sin. It has to be about something different. And what it is, is that, uh, verse 10, actually later in the passage talks about it. It talks about Jesus's death once for all to sin. It's talking about how sin no longer has a claim on him. Uh, it's talking about how, uh, Jesus, died to the guilt of sin. Uh, Because Jesus was not guilty and he died and we're in him, we're connected to him, it means that we have died to the guilt of sin. So it's talking about how sin no longer has a claim on us. Uh, It's paid for. In other words, sin is forgiven. So it's saying, how can we who are forgiven live in sin? And it's worth taking a step back and just asking a basic question, which is, what is sin? Uh, long ago in RUF, there was a student. She was amazing, the student. Um, I, and uh, she was amazing because she would ask like the questions everyone thought about, but no one was like wanting to ask, like in a Bible study or something. And one time in a Bible study, she just goes, if sinning is so bad, why does it feel so good? Just like that. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> good question, right? Like, it's a really good question. Sinning is so bad. Why does it feel so good? And it does often feel good, at least uh, at first. Um, and so what sin is, what I want us to see that sin is, and Paul at the beginning of this letter in Romans actually says, is that sin begins with exchanging the truth about God for a lie. So we're guilty. We stand guilty before God because uh We knew he was good. We knew of his love. And yet we dismissed him. We said, no, he's mean. He doesn't have what's best for me in mind. I'm going somewhere else. And that's where sin begins. That's the essence of sin. But all sinning that we do is now a response to that reality. So if it feels good, 
Uh, if it seems right to us, it's because it's a way to deal with our alienation from God. Uh, in my house, we have a few storage rooms. Uh, one of them we call the room of requirement. And uh, it's this place where we just like stuff all our crap that we don't know what to do with. Like we don't want to see it. And we don't want to, maybe we want to like save it, maybe, but we're too lazy to get rid of it. So like we have this room, the room of requirement, and it's just like we stuff all our stuff in there. And thankfully there's a door you can close. And it's this way to be like, you know, I just don't, if I don't have to see it, I don't have to deal with it. Um, Sin is kind of like that. It's like all sinning we do is this feeble attempt to deal with this reality that I am alienated from God. Because I've dismissed him. Uh, this happens right when sin enters the world in Genesis, in the book of Genesis. Uh, when Adam and Eve sin for the first time, the f- first thing they do is hide from God as if that was possible. Uh, they try to cover themselves with leaves. Like, how's that going to work? Um, they have kids, Cain and Abel, and immediately jealousy kicks in, anger kicks in. Uh, Cain murders Abel uh, because he's jealous of him. Uh, you know, take it on. You know, sin just keeps on multiplying in this world that God created uh, as people gra- get, grasp for control in a world where they're alienated from God. And what you got to see is these responses make sense, actually. They're a way of dealing with the fact, like, what do I do if I'm alienated from God? hide from him, cover myself, do something. Uh, It makes sense, except that the gospel now proclaims that in Christ, we've died to this reality, this alienation, this guilt. Uh, We've died to it. Uh, We don't live under it anymore. Uh, Jesus bearing the penalty for our sin now counts for us. Uh, We've been talking about this idea here and there this semester of union with Christ. Uh, What's true of him Uh, becomes true of us, which means we're no longer guilty. We're no longer alienated. Like what's the most true about any Christian is that we're forgiven. We're brought into the presence of God. And so to continue in sin is now just completely incongruous with reality for the Christian. Uh, I'll put it this way. Uh, To continue to sin as a Christian is kind of like eating in the, you know, like if a, a prisoner... Uh, Like being released from prison, but continuing to eat in the prison cafeteria. That's what sinning is. Uh, The only reason you ate there was because you had to. (laughs) You were a prisoner. It was your only option. Uh, You were under judgment. But the reality is that Christians are still drawn to sin. So it's, you know, it doesn't make sense. It's incongruous with reality, but we are still drawn to it. So we need to go a little deeper. Uh, So I want to think about how we died to sin in this passage. And uh, Paul says it in verses three and four. He says, we were baptized into Christ's death. And what he's talking about there is actual baptism, uh, the kind that happens in churches uh, all the time. Um, And baptism is usually kind of devalued in the church today, I have found. And a lot of times, uh, you know, people are careful to say, like, baptism doesn't save you. You know, like, the actual ritual, like, won't save you. Uh, but it's kind of like the center of Paul's argument here. So it's really important. And uh, the way I explain baptism is it's kind of like a wedding ceremony. You know, you can get married to someone and all it really takes is, like, signing a document or a couple of documents. And you're, like, married 
in the eyes of the law. But most people prefer to have a wedding ceremony because marriage is hard. And sometimes it's good to look back, you know, like I can still think back to the moment I saw my wife Maggie uh, enter the sanctuary where we were getting married. Uh, I still wear a ring on my finger that reminds me of her commitment to love me. You know, I still, you know, think about the vows we made to each other, all these elements of the ceremony um, that kind of seal our marriage for us. You know, they weren't like, you know, technically you can get married without them, but they mean actually so much. And baptism is similar. Uh, Baptism is the place where our union with Christ is dramatically set forth. Like we're meant to look back on it. Maybe you don't remember it. That's okay. You can still go to other baptisms and kind of relive it. Uh, This moment uh, when uh, our sin actually drips off of us. We're meant to reflect on it at every baptism we see. Uh, Baptism is where you receive Christ's credentials as the one who died to the guilt of sin. Uh, So the guilt drips off of us. Uh, Our alienation from God drips off. It makes us different. Uh, When I was uh, in college, it's, you know, March Madness. I actually really like March Madness. Uh, In college, I was really into my school's basketball team. Went to Wake Forest University in North Carolina, and uh, back then we had a good team, and uh, so me and my friends in college went to a lot of the games, and a few years ago, me and my friends decided to meet up at a game, Uh, just kind of like friend reunion, go to a game, and uh, my friend, who happens to be pretty well connected, got us not just tickets, but like VIP passes to this game, and... uh, they weren't just VIP, they were floor seats, so we were sitting, like, screaming at the players the whole game, and they could hear us, it was great, and uh, these passes said the Moracle Society on them, and the more, I didn't know what the Moracle Society was, but it's this, like, high-end club in the arena where you can get, like, high-end hors d'oeuvres and, like, drinks the whole game, and so at halftime, we go in, And, you know, I didn't know. I wasn't prepared. I'm wearing, like, a T-shirt to this game. And this is, like, where the ballers go to, like, party during the game. And this guy had just donated $5 million to the basketball team. And so the point of that day was we were celebrating him. And so at halftime, we walk in. They hand us champagne. I'm standing there in my T-shirt. There's this, like, multi-billionaire there talking about, like, how he was happy to give $5 million to the team. And, uh, you know, so I meet, I just feel like I don't belong here, uh, but I look down at my pass. I'm wearing, the, I'm wearing the same exact pass that everyone else in the room is wearing. It says the Moracle Society. And so I do belong. Like, I couldn't be kicked out of that room because I'm wearing the pass. Okay? Uh, baptism is that. It's the VIP pass. You know, when you've screwed up your life, when you're weighed down by your sin, when you're weighed down by your lack of progress, uh, your lack of self-control, your inability to cope, uh, when you're weighed down by temptation that just like won't go away, uh, baptism is the VIP pass that you show and say, no, I'm baptized. I do belong. Like I'm not alienated from God. (laughs) Not guilty. Righteous. That's what you're looking at right here. Um, the only way we can be, you can be transformed is by hearing this good news of the gospel, which proclaims there's a new reality for you, for those that are in Christ, for those that have been baptized, you're forgiven. 
You're not guilty anymore. You don't need to resort to sin anymore. And the transformation takes time, right? It's so enormous that it takes time to live into. Uh, Some of you have heard me talk about my friend who has uh, several adopted kids now. And uh, I was actually there when they brought home their first adopted child from Uganda. And I got to be there at the airport when they welcomed him, which was amazing this three-year-old boy, uh, and he had been abandoned in a taxi cab in Uganda and gone to live in an orphanage there, and they adopted him. And it's just an amazing story. And I can remember seeing him a year or so later and asking him, like, hey, how's it going with your boy? And, you know, he was like, it's great, but it's really hard. Like, there's a lot of hard things. For instance, uh, at school, he's hoarding food. Like, we, his teacher said they found him, like, hoarding food in his cubby at school. And uh, sometimes when we're at home, like, one of us will reach up into a cabinet and he'll go like this and kind of hide because he thinks he's about to get slapped. And it's just really sad, really hard, uh, those parts of it. And, you know, we know why, you know, he came from a really rough situation, right? That's why, like, and the rea- his reality changed very suddenly. Uh, he's no longer under the reign of abuse, of oppressive poverty, of just like eking out an existence in life. Um, but it doesn't mean he never lives like he is, um, That's the story of every Christian. Like that boy's story, if you're a Christian, that's your story. You were under a deep condemnation. Like all of us, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Like, and everything fell apart. And then through Christ, our reality changed. We were forgiven. And when we're drawn to sin, we're like that boy hoarding food in the cubby. Or that boy going like this because he thinks he's going to get slapped. Uh, Because that's what he did in his old life to survive. And it takes time to live into. Uh, That boy is much older now. That boy is like in high school now. And uh, he does. He's an amazing boy. He doesn't do those things anymore uh, at all. Uh, But I want to think about that. Like, do you think his parents were just like, hey, stop doing that? I don't think so. They probably gave him a lot of hugs. Maybe they took him into their like pantry and were just like, hey, look at all this food. You're never going to run out of food, buddy. In the gospel, Jesus is like that. He says, hey, look at the cross. Look at the blood. Look at these wounds that are still in my hands. Look at the empty tomb. You're different now. You died to sin. You died to sin. You died to sin. You're accepted. You're forgiven. The king delights in you. Now go live. Go be different. Go be a lover like me. Uh, That's the life that Jesus invites all of us into. So let's uh, pray that God would make it so in our lives. Uh, Heavenly Father, Set us free from all these uh, ways that we continue to run from you. Uh, Help us to see 
what's actually true of us, what our true story actually is. We died to sin. We died to sin. We are not guilty. We are forgiven. We are accepted. We need to have that pounded into our heads. So we pray that your spirit would do that, that it would go deep into our hearts and that we would be transformed. Uh, Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.